Welcome to the Mother Days. I'm your host, Sarah Wright Olson. And I'm Teresa Palmer. And thank you to Sarah Wright Olson. We have an amazing guest today, (laughs) Dr. Nathan Riley. I'm going to let Sarah kick it off with his incredible introduction. Uh, So Dr. Nathan Riley, actually, it was Ricky and Abby um, who told us you have to talk to Dr. Nathan Riley. Ricky Lake, Abby Epstein. Yeah, they were like, you have to talk to him. He is just like so outside the box, doing amazing things in the birth community. And I started reading um, stuff about you. I started looking at your posts and reading your website. And I was just like blown away. So I want to read a little bit of your bio here, but I'm going to let you tell your story. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. Think of all that cash back on those overpriced kombuchas. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today that future you will thank you for. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cashback credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cashback? Splurge on some fancy champagne with the gals or order fine dining to the house and watch a good true crime doco? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cashback credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. So Dr. Nathan Riley is a board certified OBGYN who left the medical industri- industrial complex due to his disillusionment with the standard of care within the conventional maternity care model. Um so this to me is amazing straight out of the gate. I'm like, how, where do I find you? And how do I have a baby with you? My wife would not like that, Sarah, if we had a baby together. I know. I was like, the way that came out was like, Sorry. how do I? <laughs> oh my God. Where's your wife? Get her on here. <laughs> we, need to have a, we need to have a whole commune situation here. Um, okay. Your mission, it says his mission is to uphold midwifery care as the art that it is and to honor birth as a sacred process and the transition to parenthood as a spiritual transformation, which I think is just so amazing. Um, You empower women to have babies on their own terms using nature as their guide and you help Mm. fathers embrace the opportunity to connect with birth and their partners through pregnancy and birth, encouraging them to go deeper versus distancing themselves from the stigmatized but magical rite of passage. So this all just blew me away reading this because um, you just, you hit on so many things and there's so much more here. But I would love for you to take us back to the beginning and tell us um, how you got started in this work, what it is that your focus is now um, so that we can dive in. Wow. Well, thanks to (laughs) Ricky and Abby for the uh, introduction and thank you for the setting the stage. I I don't really know where to start, guys. It's, um, It's been a heck of a journey. I've been through a lot of school more than most. And definitely I've, more than me. Sorry, but, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I, I've met some of the most intelligent people I know have, you know, barely finished high school. So like those accolades very, very quickly, I realized this is just a piece of paper that shows that I was willing to whip myself more than many others. in. Um, I guess trying to, I guess there was a fear, you know, when you go into medicine, you're, you're afraid you're never going to make money or you're never going to find a job. Like we always, oh, we all have that fear and we all still like kind of live in that space. Like you don't know what tomorrow brings, but if you went into medicine, there's all some security there, right? So maybe it was a fear kind of based decision. Um, I certainly didn't know I would be in birth when I went into medicine, Um, But when you see a birth, when you're present with a birth for the very first time in your life, like there is nothing. It's like your first Mm. ice cream cone. It's just like, (laughs) what on earth was that? I mean, that one was life before and life after your first ice cream cone. I think (laughs) the same goes for birth. I think many of us don't ever have the privilege of doing that. Many people, especially Mm -hmm. us men. And when you do it and when you're really present, you're not like on your phone waiting for the baby to come out. You're actually like really feeling what's happening there. There's no looking back. And for somebody who's curious 
and just attracted to beauty, there's absolutely no other path I guess I could have taken. So there's no mm. reason I went into it. Uh, another part of it is I would never experience it myself. So it required me to be even more sort of empathetic and engaged in the conversations and present mm -hmm. with the storytelling. And I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like your favorite TV show, Ted Lasso or whatever is just, there's an unlimited number of seasons and you're always going to be surprised every <laughs> single day. Like, that is oh a really fucking great job. So, yeah. Um, and I also do, I also do end of life. I was reading about you doing palliative care and I, I'm, it actually made me gasp because, um, I feel so connected to uh, the birth community and so connected to palliative care as well. Cause my dad, you know, he was in hospice and he mm. um, had, I was with him through his end of life and through his transition to his next life. So um, I, but I was pregnant with my daughter when that happened and I was about to give birth to her a few months later. So I feel like I experienced this end of life and then a beginning of life all in a matter oh, of months. Yeah. And so, so um, when I read that you work in both, I was like, it just makes so much sense because mm -hmm. the beginning of life is so beautiful and watching someone go through the end of life in this mm. way, you're like helping them transition to the next place. And it's, right it's just powerful. Please talk about that because it's fascinating to me. Man. So let me ask you then, Sarah, since you've, you seem connected to this, a lot of people call me a, like a bookend doctor. I don't even, I don't like that term. I'm not, <laughs> there's not a, there's not a, a beginning in to, or end to anything. Um, mm -hmm. Unless you're kind of just one of those people that grew up kind of like dragging your feet to Catholic church. And then you were like, fuck this. And you left the church. And now you're kind of <laughs> like in this, you read Richard Dawkins and Chris Hitchens. And like, you're like, ah, I don't know, man, it's like a little too much. I think it's just, we all die and become worms food and, and whatever. <laughs> if that's your position, like you're probably one in a billion. There's not too many people who really are invested in that. And if you actually are just, let's say you did a psychedelic journey, right? I don't know. Some people do that type of stuff. <laughs> who would do uh, such a thing? Don't point any fingers or name any yes. names. Yeah, yeah. Who would do yeah. that? How responsible of somebody. Everyone we know. I mean. <laughs> So um, I may or may not have dabbled, and yes, you know, I'm a dabbler myself. Oh, so I, I dabble. I might dabble later today. Who knows? Um, uh, when you when you have one of these types of experiences where you're not really so married any longer to this physical thing, the physical table, the floor under your feet you're like the plants seem to be breathing with you i mean like when you start to have something like that happen mm -hmm. no longer can you sit in that one in a billion state where you absolutely are determined to demonstrate to the world that there's nothing going on beyond beyond mm. the merely physical stuff yeah and so anyways let me actually get to your question so the the birth and death sort of thing is like, listen, if you're present with a birth, if you're present with death, I don't know what comes first. Maybe death is the beginning of something and birth is the end of something. I have, mm -hmm. I have no clue. I, I have my own sort of predilections. Like maybe it's a conspiracy based on that LSD journey I had one day or whatever. But <laughs> once you feel it, it's not just an intellectual thing. You get the sense that there's something more going on here. Oh, yeah. Um, and for those who've tried mushrooms, you get this like grid. You can get that with LSD as well. Um, you get this like grid. Everything sort of starts to look like it fits together, like this one giant universe that we are not separate from, right? This is, I'm, I'm not mm. like the only person to have ever said this. Mm -hmm. um, but when we actually like lean into that experience, you start to realize, oh, wait a second. It doesn't actually matter what comes first. There's this continuum. Something is mm -hmm. coming and going at all moments of every day for every single, you know, human organism on this planet. Mm -hmm. And if you have the privilege of sitting with enough birth and death, you actually see it, like you said, Sarah, this is the exact same thing happening with a very, a slightly different context. Mm -hmm. The only difference is that in our society, we see birth as a medical procedure mm -hmm. and we see death mm -hmm. as a failure of the medical sciences. That's right. That is the only wow. thing. Mother culture has really squashed that that uh, opportunity for us to maybe explore this a little bit. So mm. being somebody like you who's been through this, I also have a very high profile client right now whose father passed away in her 
first going into second trimester. Mm. These are heavy things that nobody wants to yeah. ever talk about. Nobody really feels confident in, in maybe their ability to, I don't know, to, like, to speak eloquently about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also why it's so exciting. So for me, I chose two fields where I'm never going to have the answer. I'm never going to fully understand this. <laughs> Amazing. Maybe 60 years. Like, How liberating. Be, it's liberating. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Teresa. It is liberating. No, mm. I, I don't have to just sit in an office and do the thing, you know, the TPS reports or whatever from office space. Like, I don't have to do that ever again. And mm. if I could just sit here and contemplate consciousness and the universe and birth and death and connection um, and love and intimacy and orgasm. And, and uh, like, that's what I get to do every single day. Wow. And it all ties into this beautiful, elegant human experience that nobody has any fucking clue uh, what is really going on. That to me is the ultimate essay question on a test. Yeah. <laughs> your answer is always right. Like that's that's yeah. beautiful, right? Yes. Oh, my God. I feel like you and my husband would get on really oh, well. Oh, like on another level. <laughs> I know. I was like, where is Mark? Bring I him know. in. I was like, oh, my God. Whoa. <laughs> too many friends. I'd love to meet Mark. He's I know. That's he can join the commune. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Um, you have this, um, this, there was this quote on one of your posts, and it says, the humanity and the human experience of giving birth belongs to us. Mm. And and um, I, I, when I read that, I was thinking like the power has been taken away from oh, so yeah. many. There's so many women who mm-hmm. have come to us, you know, friends of ours or like women in our community. And they've been like, gosh, I just feel so traumatized by what I went through in birth. And it breaks my heart because to me, like, I, I feel like birth was this entry into like my power. I feel like I stepped into this new version of myself and I was able to like, you know, rip into it in this lioness way. And it was so amazing. And I, I feel so bad for someone who like didn't get to have that experience or was told like, oh, you have to, you know, be induced because your baby is big or you have to do this or whatever it is. And then, you know, one thing escalates to another thing. And it's so much of what you're talking about. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, finding a care provider like you? Will you just talk a little bit about the difference in a hospital care and midwifery care and what it is that you do? Yeah, thank you. That's a a brilliant question. It really is. um, I think the really the crux of any conversation around um, how we wish to change the world needs to start with birth. Mm -hmm. And I think I'll I'll even say if we if we want to change the world, and we can't even get birth right, we're fucked. If we want to change birth, and we don't even know how to take care of ourselves, then we're fucked. And we have Mm -hmm. a lot of people that are struggling to take care of themselves. Now, before yeah. this gets into a, the listener slips into this, like he's blaming and shaming and guilt tripping and all that. That's not what this is about. What this is mm-hmm. about is understanding two things. The first is that after you have a baby, it used to be a practice, a cultural practice that dates way back before our, you know, Costco and Chipotle, you know, driven culture, whereby you would tell your story. You would actually close this circle. It's a ceremony to mm-hmm. honor the experience of transformation that is childbirth for the baby, mm-hmm. for, the, for the birthing woman, for her partner, for the whole community, for the unit, that this family unit that's emerging. You would tell mm-hmm. that story. That was actually an important part of closing it. Just like if you went on a medicine journey and you needed to integrate that, there's an integration process. And it, it, it's in birth, it can be beautifully and elegantly done through just telling your story. That is therapy. It's mm. for the therapy for the listener, for the practitioner, yes. whatever they call themselves, and for the, the person who's gone through this. But that birth story is going to be told one way or the other. You're going to have something to, t- to say afterwards. And you can mm-hmm. either tell your story from the moment you, d- you have this little glimmer of like, I maybe want to have kids. You can either tell that story right now starting to tell that story or somebody's going to tell it for you. And the conditioning that we've gone through since we were five and we had to raise our hands in kindergarten was that you need to ask permission to do anything in this world. Mm. Well, there is no permission slip to have a baby. Nobody's going to take care of that child for the rest of their life or for at least their adolescent period, except Mm -hmm. for you as a, as a woman, as a father, whatever. We don't have a village to care for you anymore. 
And whether that's good or bad is not relevant because here's, here's where we are. So mm-hmm. if you don't start telling your story, you're going to have to tell a story that somebody else has written for you. And that doesn't always feel very good. So what we've done, like this course program that Sarah Rosser is one of the farm midwives, this program we just launched was in response to so many people coming to us for care, but us simultaneously trying to convince them not to hire us, at least in my, in my <laughs> camp. Not only can I not travel everywhere in the world for every birth, every woman who's <laughs> like, I like this guy and I like what he stands for. He seems to really get it, right? I can't be that for everybody. So I oftentimes am convincing people, don't hire me, go hire a midwife. I've got a whole network of midwives that I collaborate with, that I support them so that the state legislators who have determined that they're not capable of doing this thing without a supervising doctor, in order to appease them, they have to have somebody like me sign their orders and review charts with them. It's, it's baloney. And sometimes you could maybe argue that's helpful, but it's not generally very helpful for maternity mm. care in the United States. All right. As you guys know, we are we are busy mums. We are dog mums, business mums, performance mums, school board mums. Life gets hectic. That's why we rely on our tried and tested go-tos to alleviate some of the chaos. NerdWallet helps you by maximizing your everyday spending, whether it's groceries for the week, drinks with friends, or a nice family meal. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. I mean, come on, guys. Think of all the cash back that you're going to get on those kombuchas, on those frozen pizzas. NerdWallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today that future you will thank you for. With NerdWallet, you won't regret missing out on rewards. NerdWallet lets you compare smart cashback credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So what could future you do with more cashback? Uh, A silent meditation retreat in Peru, a sweat lodge in India, whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cashback credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. As with all credit cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, guys, we are a couple of tired mummers and all we do is crave a spa day and we deserve it. We always end up putting ourselves down the very bottom of our to-do list. We jump from one activity to the next and we're always meeting the needs of everyone else around us. I think it is time for a little self-pampering. This Mother's Day, make every day a spa day for all the moms in your life with Osea's Mega Moisture Duo. It's a value pack of two luxurious body care moisturizers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion, both featuring Osea's signature, uplifting, all-natural citrusy scent. I think the greatest and most thoughtful gifts are the gifts that you actually like love yourself, something that you use on yourself. And I love using the Mega Moisture Duo. It makes my skin so glowy. It's like super hydrating, firming, smells amazing. When I give my kids a hug after a bath, they're like, you smell so good. (laughs) It is my absolute favorite gift and such a great gift for Mother's Day. Yes. Folding in self-care is a moment to practice mindfulness. It's self-love. It's compassion. And we all know if you run your battery flat, it's harder to recharge. A consistent body care routine promotes healthy, glowing skin and also supports your mental health. Treat mom to the everyday spa experience she deserves with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOTHERDAYS at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use code MOTHERDAYS for 10% off. I do this because I don't, necessarily want to be on call all the time. And I actually don't think you necessarily need me. Sometimes Mm. things get a little shaky and you do need a doctor, you know, C-section. Sometimes a C-section is really helpful. Not Mm. 
30, you know, one third of babies coming out through the abdomen. You know, it's not yes. really that common. The inductions, right. the diabetes, the preeclampsia, mm. all of that should not be as common as it is. And if you've been starting to tell your story, you probably will not even end up needing me. So how, what offering can we have? We can have the Born Free Method, which is the flagship course where the unit one, lesson one, over about 90 modules is radical responsibility. So mm. that's where we're at right now is I really, really, really am advocating right now, not for you to feel bad or to feel shame or guilt for what happened in the past, but starting right now, let's start telling your story and let's make sure that that story is highlighted. Like there's, there's these little boxes throughout the book of just how much you've loved yourself from the moment that you decided I would love to have a child. And I would love mm. for the center of my life force energy, my womb space, to carry a baby in the most beautiful, elegant, maybe even ecstatic way possible. But that is going to require you to take back that power that you gave away from age five, asking yeah. to go to the bathroom. So, so I'll, I'll pause there. We can go wherever oh we gosh. want to from there. <laughs> Next level. I'm like, wow, this is like, we need to get this episode out tomorrow. There are women birthing in the next week. <laughs> um, this is amazing. It's, it's such a beautiful perspective and um, one that, frankly, I think you're the only doctor in, you know, Sarah and I have been involved in the birth world and interested and passionate about it for the last 10 years. But I think you are the only one I've met who really fundamentally, I think, just gets it. And I um, I think it's so wonderful that you're talking to all these midwives and everyone's feeling so empowered to go and spread word that birth can be something so incredible. And we hear time and time again, I heard this the other day, I'm being a birth support person for a good friend of mine. And she was like, well, what if you just have to have an epidural? Because my friend was in the hospital and they said her, her baby was in the wrong position. And I was like, oh, was the baby breech? And she was like, no, the baby was posterior. And I was like, oh, so I've had um, two mm. home birth posterior babies. So what happened? And she said that, um, you know, it was the cascade of interventions and ended yeah. up with an episiotomy and forceps. And, right. um, and my friend was really afraid. She was sitting in this place of fear. What if this happens to me? And I was like, well, first of all, we're going to sit down. We're going to watch all these documentaries. <laughs> I'm, we're going to be equipped with the knowledge and the power and the information. That's right. And we're going to enter birth in that way. Yeah. And then from that perspective, it's like this idea of surrender. So mm -hmm. please talk to us because so many women are hearing horror stories. We're coming into birth from a perspective of it's terrible, it's hard, it's so scary, it's so painful. Mm. I'm going to need to have an epidural. I'm going to need to have interventions. How do we switch that perspective when we're pregnant? How do we do it? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I saw a post today on, I think it was on Instagram, probably, you know, and I, I don't want to throw shade any direction. I don't really care. Uh, I don't spend as much time as people think as I do on Instagram because I have somebody that I pay to do it. Otherwise, I would be stabbing my face with razor blades at all times. <laughs> it does feel a bit like that, it? Doesn't does it feel like that. <laughs> where, where capable people go to die. And um, <laughs> so... My So this post on there said, uh, and there's a lot of good stuff in there, but it's sometimes hard yes. to get the signal through this noise. Six mm. hacks to improve your sperm quality. Like, get the fuck out of here. You don't have any idea <laughs> what, what, what is required for this. You think one egg and one sperm meet and that's how a baby happens. Like, go get a, a single textbook on, on anything instead uh. of starting to create more fuzziness, muddying the waters for somebody who's yeah. really, really terribly frustrated with this process. But anyways, I digress. I'm so sorry. I'm just really passionate. And you guys, with your we beautiful skin and your, your dress, <laughs> like, guys, Sarah and Teresa have the nicest skin around. If there is not oh a skincare God. product sponsoring the podcast, 
you guys are losers. You have a mis- I mean, right? Do you hear <laughs> us, guys? Skincare companies that's around right. the world? Mm, do you hear us? I just us? think it, yeah, I think it's my old computer that sort of blurs everything out. <laughs> I know, so I'm, I'm sitting um, in some nice light right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, so I, I'm super passionate about these things, obviously. And uh, mm. so the post said something like, you can't have an autonomous birth in the hospital. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, so oh, let's say you do want to have a home birth and you transfer to the hospital and, and your advice has been, it's not possible to have an autonomous birth. Like you're, you're royally screwed. Like, yeah, totally. like what are you yes. going to do now? Now you found yourself in the hospital. My process is not, Hey, free birth or die. And by the way, I would have a free birth if I was going to have a baby. And that's maybe easier mm. said than done. Mm-hmm. I, there is something so uh, beautiful about the idea, the notion that maybe somebody's standing guard so that I'm not interrupted, but I'm just going to be in here going inward and letting oxytocin, and the love chemical, just bathe my, my body, my baby, my breasts and bring this baby into the world. Like there is something magical about that. And again, easier said than done. I'm a white man of privilege, blah, blah, blah. Like it's not really relevant anymore, guys. Like get over it. I'm a male gynecologist. So um, what, what I would say to those people is we need to pull our foot off of the accelerator and we need to consider what is really important right now. We have mother Mm -hmm. culture telling every woman out there that there is danger around the corner because you, if you're pregnant, you have a disease process, which is why 90% of women are having a baby under the care of an OBGYN. My specialties are not in birth and naturally clearing your BV and all of that. My specialties, I mean, I'm saying me as an board certified OBGYN is in surgery, very good Mm. at surgery, very Mm -hmm. fast in C-sections, thank God, and pathology in pregnancy. Hmm. Pathology and surgery. If you don't have pathology and you don't need surgery, why on earth are you going to an OBGYN? A mother culture has made you believe that having an operating room 40 feet away is actually going to um, somehow save you from this process of having a baby. Mm. When women say, I feel like I was, I I felt like I was going to die. They mean it. Mm. And they don't mean physically. You do die in birth. Your old maiden version of you is Mm -hmm. gone. You'll never see her again. And for Mm -hmm. you guys, that like 26 year old lost boy that's been working on his abs and trying to promote some like (laughs) stupid pre-workout like creatine supplement, like that's gone too. Mm -hmm. But a lot of us men don't have the model and we can get into that. When you, when you are going to have a baby, you're, you have autonomy no matter what, no matter who's there, no matter what the circumstances, you still get a say as to how you're spoken to, how you're touched. Yes. What is put into your body? Mm-hmm. Are you being cut open or not? There is absolutely no rule in any country in the world that will say that you are not allowed to decline somebody sticking their hand into your vagina without your consent, mm-hmm. period. That's right. Mm-hmm. In every mm-hmm. U.S. hospital. Teresa, are you Australian? I'm Aussie, yeah. Aussie. Aussie. Aussie, man. Um, <laughs> just love your, I just love your accent. And, and, I know, and I know. your compadres in New Zealand are the funniest people on the planet. I'm kidding. Literally the funniest people. I'm working with some right now. Actually the funniest. <laughs> they don't even like try to be funny. They're just fucking hysterical. Like, if he ever dies, oh I'm my like, God, Taika. I don't know. Literally um, the funniest person. <laughs> um, where was I? Jeez, oh man. Here I go again. Oh, um, we were talking about um, consent. Yeah. Yes. For yes. someone to put their fingers in your vagina. Yes. yes. Consent. Every, every U.S. hospital in the very least, I haven't been able to confirm this in every Aussie hospital, perhaps, mm-hmm. but every U.S. hospital, this is a, a, a requirement. It's a federal law. You need to have a bill of rights available for your patients to review. In, oh, in pregnancy, wow. you're a client. You're not a patient. And your bill of rights say you are absolutely, without a doubt, guaranteed full counseling around risks, benefits, alternatives. Mm. And when, what I say is my only job is not to guarantee you a good outcome. That's not in, in the equation. When you get pregnant, you mm. may have a bad outcome. Mm-hmm. But our efforts to um, decrease that risk to zero, zero dead babies, zero dead moms, mm. which of course is the most tragic, horrible thing. I don't know how anybody can ever go through that. And that is a separate conversation for a separate day. I can mm-hmm. share a story about that later where we have a baby that's born and dies within an hour. This is really, oh, really important stuff. However, our efforts to reduce mortality and morbidity to zero for both mom and baby has led us to instead 
violate a woman's rights and traumatize them in other ways that leads to not physical harm, but mental, emotional, and spiritual Mm dis-ease, which they may be unpacking for the rest of their lives unless they find somebody like Tracy Vogel, who has a trauma-informed prenatal clinic up in Pittsburgh. She's actually an anesthesiologist. And she's like, man, these women are coming to me. And even after they had a natural, unmedicated, uncomplicated birth in the hospital, something didn't feel right. And it could be something as simple as, we got to check your cervix. We got to check the baby. And the woman says, no, maybe even inside something doesn't feel right. And she complies, Mm. but maybe she's actually yelling no. And the nurse is holding her down. Her partner's holding her down. And then Mm -hmm. somebody like me, some Jamoke walks in, puts on a glove and shoves his hand inside of her vagina. Yeah. So what we're saying is we're willing to do that to women and hurt them on that way in order to quote, check on the baby. Oh my gosh. So you have a, you have rights guys. When you go into the hospital, there is no such thing as implied consent. That's right. And I think what like a a lot of people run into, especially if it's your first baby and all you want is a good outcome. Right. And so if you're being told in the moment, um, this is what's happening to the baby's heart, right? This is what's going on. Mm-hmm. We need to do this. The baby's going to get stuck. We need to have forceps. I can imagine that even if all of the inside of you is screaming, no, 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 this doesn't feel right. Just let yeah. me do my thing. To having that first time experience, you'll say, okay, uh, yeah. do what we need to do to make sure the baby's healthy. And you're right. like, you get to this point where you're so exhausted and you're, and you're just like, all right, just do whatever you think needs to happen. Yeah. And then you hear upon reflection how they wish, why didn't I advocate for myself? Why didn't my partner advocate mm-hmm. for me? Mm-hmm. So that's a, I think that that's so a really tricky. unfortunate thing. It's tricky, isn't it? Because yeah, you get so yeah. worried in the moment. And and also doctors have played such a like a role of like power, right? Mm-hmm. So like you you feel like you are obviously not as, you know, educated as they are. They're the ones who have all the answers, like instead of trusting your body or what you're feeling or like, you know, nature, like what's happening in the moment, you're trusting the person that's coming in and saying, "Oh, we have to do this in this moment." And you sort of have to give over at that point because you're like, "What do what, what else can I do?" I I mean, unless unless you know more, like unless, you know, you have been as informed as possible and you know that when you're going into a hospital, you're going to be able to advocate for yourself when, like I've told you guys before on the podcast, when the nurse was saying, you have to get on the bed, the baby's going to hit the floor if you're standing up. And I was like, that's insane. You just have somebody has to catch the baby. Does somebody catch it? I'm not getting on the bed. I'm going to give birth standing up. This is what my body says. My legs are not moving from the spot. And so if you know... (laughs) enough to say like, no, I don't agree with you and I'm not doing that. Um, But sometimes it's scary. I mean, when she started saying that to Mm. me, I was like, wait, what? It was jarring. It pulled me out of my like meditative state. It made me go, now I have to get in a fight with this lady and I'm about to push a a baby out. Like it's not the place that you want to be in when you're giving birth. Um, So I get it because it does feel like the doctor has the power. And for so long, for so many generations now, people have been looking to doctors to say, what medicine do I take? What is it that I have? What position like, what, what do is we it? birth in? What, what position do I birth in? Am I supposed to be on my back? Oh, do you need to yeah. put me under? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. um, so cha- we want to change the mind frame there to give women pa- their power back to say, yes, I want to birth on my own. I want to be in my own space, whatever that looks like, right? And, um, you know, I don't know, like, is that possible in a hospital if you're with the right physician? Is it better to do it at home and then transfer? Like, what would you say? What would your advice be? Well, let me close the loop on what I started saying. And then I went off onto one of my little diatribes, uh, which actually is related to what you say, what you said. (laughs) When When a doctor or a midwife or a mother or anybody, when anybody gives any counseling around, hey, like if you're counseling your little kid. Well, not a little kid, because they don't even have executive decision making, but like you're 18 year old, you're 25 year old, whatever. And if you're like, listen, son, I'm worried about this thing. If you go and do this thing, there's going to be risks. There's also some great benefits. You're going to have a lot of fun, but there's also these Mm. risks. You could also do it this way. Alternatives, right? You, if you're going to provide truly informed consent, which has been completely perversed over the, the pandemic period, 
because a lot of doctors weren't even able to counsel around the possible downsides of a vaccine that had no safety data yet. We had no safety or efficacy data. Mm-hmm. If you were to counsel them and make them a- a vaccine hesitant, you could have your license stripped. Like we got mm-hmm. into a really yeah. big problem here in, 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 in really all of the medical sciences. But real informed consent requires that I give you risks, benefits, alternatives using non-coercive language while you're not under duress mm. and then supporting oh, you wow. in your decision. That is, what, that wow. is what a true, uh, you know, the Norman Rockwell physician, that's what we would hope doctors would do. When you're not under duress. When you're not under duress. Mm-hmm. So you may have consented, but you were in the middle of a contraction and you're, you've been, you, you've been fear mongered, right? With all the, yeah. you know, you've been searching online, you've been reading on PubMed, a fr- friend of mine, they're awaiting their second baby. Her waters opened up and it was like 36 hours at home, 48 hours. She started reading all the like crazy stuff about infection mm-hmm. and all this stuff. And infection. she was like, forget it. I'm going to go in and ultimately had a decent birth. But that should not be the thing you're doing in that moment. We need to be better Mm. in supporting people as a village so that you feel completely confident when you make those decisions and you feel supported. Mm. No doctor is going to be sued if they have a genuine relationship with the person they're caring for. Mm. The system does not incentivize you to have a great relationship. In fact, you might see a different doctor every single time you go in or even in a birth center, a, a different midwife every time. So when I stepped out of the conventional model, it gave me a lot of bandwidth to actually get to know people on such a deep level that I could tell you how many times per week they're eating, you know, bivalve shellfish and organ meats. Like these are healthy people and they have healthy births as a result. So to answer your Sarah, your question, Sarah, the ultimate middle finger that anybody could, um, can generate like the the ultimate middle finger to the system or whoever it is that you're upset with out there is to get yourself as healthy as possible so that you can actually have as much autonomy in pregnancy and childbirth as you possibly can. Mm. And we can get into what that looks like. But what I'm saying here is quite literally take your power back, take responsibility for every Mm. action from this day forward and be willing to own the outcomes of those decisions not find a lawyer because somebody was neglectful. You have right. made yourself as healthy as possible. You've taken control of whatever controllable factors mm. there are. And there are many that aren't con- you know, in your control. That is actually the, the most disruptive thing you can do in maternity care. If you don't do those things, then you end up with something like gestational diabetes on insulin or whatever, which is completely mm-hmm. preventable and oftentimes even reversible in pregnancy. I don't care what mm-hmm. anybody tells you. Human placental lactogen is not responsible for almost a majority of American women having some degree of insulin resistance, like true insulin resistance beyond the HPL effect in their pregnancy. In a country that has such an abundance of resources, mm-hmm. like we can't prevent this. Like somehow the United States is USA, USA number one in gestational diabetes. Like of all the developed nations, we should be ashamed of that. And if you as a woman and your partner, say, listen, we're going to dial in our lifestyle and put all of our resources towards the healthiest environment during pregnancy and our childbirth experience, you're going to demonstrate we actually don't need all of your tech. Mm-hmm. United, the United States population is 5% of the world, and we're using upwards of 85% of all pharmaceuticals. That is a big problem. Wow. So there's a lot of influencers out there. There's a lot of people with great podcasts. I love podcasts. I've got a podcast. You've got a podcast. But this is not enough. This is not disruptive enough. Just Mm -hmm. putting together some cool posts on carousels on Canva and talking about how bad the system is, that's not enough. You have to show up and practice what you preach and take take your power back. Mm -hmm. Because if you're sick, then you do do deserve an OBGYN. You might even, you know, find yourself in the operating room. And there was definitely something you probably could have done differently. Not in every case, by any stretch of the imagination. But for one third of C-sections, one third of babies being induced one third of baby, uh, one third of births coming by C-section. I mean, uh, yeah. we we have a lot of work to do, and it is not going to come through just like down with the system or whatever. Are you the person listening? Are you doing everything right now for you to be as healthy as possible? And if not, why? Like, I I don't know. I don't know how to sugarcoat it any longer. It's just like we have mm-hmm. a massive problem, or even the doctors and midwives, their health is just it's just crumbling. We have a society that does not incentivize your health. It incentivizes your productivity over everything. 
Yeah. And like a, a great t-shirt would be like pregnenolone over productivity. Pregnenolone is the mother hormone that helps you produce all of your sex hormones and your adrenal hormones, like your cortisol and everything. Mm. We, we need to start getting this under control. And, um, and I don't say this like lightheartedly. I, I have worked very hard on my own health and I'm still not perfect. But if I was pregnant, this is the time. Like this is absolutely the time to start trying to get some of these things in order. Because if you end up developing one of these conditions, your midwife, there's a good chance that they're not going to be able to take care of you anymore. You won the home birth, you developed preeclampsia. Um, you developed a really, really bad tear because you were vegan in your pregnancy. Sorry, you know, for the vegan I was vegan. <laughs> you know, a lot of, a lot of vegans have really bad, they have placental issues. They get tearing in the vulva and the vagina. Um, not every time, but a lot of times because there's a state of malnourishment. If you're not very, very, very careful as to how you dial in your nutritional needs. Yeah, I think you have to be hyper because my husband's been vegan for, you know, 20 yeah. years. You have yeah. to be hyper aware. And we always say that. We always say, like, you've got to be so on top of it. And it's very easy to be a lazy vegan oh, and to yeah. not actually oh, yeah. do the work to make yeah. sure that you're yeah. feeling, yeah, like you have yeah. nutrient-dense foods. Totally. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, Anyways, I'll just summarize. I'll just, I'll just put a final point in this um, because I yeah. do think this is the crux of everything that I'm doing right now. And it's critical from preconception all the way through menopause years is that if there's something in your control, just take a baby step. That is the ultimate, that, that is the most disruptive thing you can do um, in order to displace a system that is relying on you not being able to do it for yourself. It is a mm. reclamation of power, a reclamation of your health, of your sanity. And it might just be one small little thing you do every single day where your relationships get better, your sex drive comes back, your erections men come back in the morning. You don't mm -hmm. have issues with fertility. You have a very breezy birth, an ecstatic birth experience. Your postpartum recovery is just nesting. It's filled with oxytocin and not pain and debilitation and depletion. This is what autonomous birth means. And even mm -hmm. if you do end up in the hospital, if you've done those things, you're going to have a much better chance of not needing a lot of those other things that you have heard the horror stories about. Yeah, I had a home birth transfer with my first. Um, and I, because I had done all the work, I had done all the work, I had read all the things, I was so equipped. I knew what my rights were when I got into that hospital. And you still walk in like wobbly because I was like, 10 centimeters dilated. I'm, you know, all my, my plans have quickly shifted yeah. and I've had to just embrace this new situation yeah. because my, all my contractions stopped and I was 10 centimeters dilated without contractions for a number of hours, just like waiting at the house. So I got there and I remember everything went away. All of a sudden I was in this environment and felt very scary. And I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to get everything. I'm going to, I'll get the epidural. I'll get, I'll get all the things. And luckily for me, because I had equipped myself with that knowledge, it ended up having, I ended up having a really positive hospital birth, a home yeah. birth transfer. And it was positive and my baby was healthy. And there are certain things that like I did tear because I didn't quite listen to my body in terms of slowing the pushing part of it down. But, you know, in my three subsequent births, I was able to look at my first birth and realize the ways in which I wanted to change things up. And I've had such beautiful, peaceful, amazing births, including a, a home birth for my fourth. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think that is it's key. It's just equipping the birthing person with the knowledge and to know like what the, their rights are, to be completely informed and to go in feeling very empowered Absolutely. into the birth. Absolutely. I also wanted to comment on something Sarah said, you know, if you find yourself in a space where you're like, oh my gosh, I really got to start, I got to advocate for myself. I don't know what to do. <laughs> One thing I, somebody, I don't know who told me this, but they were like, just, just tell them you need to pray. Like we in the United States are so afraid of spirituality and religion that if you tell them you got to pray, it's sort of like being in middle school and telling, you know, your teacher, I have explosive diarrhea. And they're like, just go, just go, just go. And you get like a free hall pass, you know, um, <laughs> it makes people so uncomfortable in, at times that actually might buy you some time to really kind of center yourself. And what I would do in those situations or what I, what I counsel my clients to do is like, what are you feeling on the inside? Like we're talking about your gut, your instinctual sort of proclivity here. What feels right? Because if you don't listen to that voice, which could be called your intuition, your soul's guidance, 
you're, you're probably going to feel bad about it later if you don't listen to that, or at least explore and unpack it with your partner or with yourself. Um, intuition is authoritative knowledge in childbirth. You have a very, very deep, uh, sort of intrinsically uh, truthful kind of compass that will guide you. You mm -hmm. may benefit from some counseling here and there, but whatever it is that feels right is probably the right answer. It doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to have that beautiful birth that everybody talks about. I mean, your makeup is perfect afterwards with this little bundle of joy. <laughs> but it could be a lot worse if you weren't, if you, if you continue to just tell people, hey, I'll do whatever you think is right. Because a lot of that language, again, what we were modeled was very coercive. You know, you don't want your baby to die, right? I mean, it looks like that. It's like, oh, you know, Teresa, I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not really happy with this baby's heart rate. I just... It's been such a long night for you. Um, mm. It would make me feel a lot better if we could start maybe talking about what we could do to fix this. You know, I'll give you some time, right? It's It seems very oh genuinely soft yes. and caring. But mm. what they're planning to do is to tell, hey, operating room, get ready. We're going to be taking room four back for an C-section. And then they go in and they're like, ooh, they're staring at the screen. They're not even looking at you. They're like, oh, man, this little man, I just really am worried about him. Hmm. Oh, gosh. Why don't we get him, you know, why don't we just talk about what a C-section would look like, right? I, I, you guys have time. Like, let's just talk about it. It's getting a little late. You know, I'd rather not do this in but the middle of the night. why would they do this? This is what I don't understand. It's what, we, it's is... what we, taught, we were taught to do. Wow. What they say is nobody ever sues you for the C-section you did. They sue you for the C-section you didn't do. Crazy. I have a question about your course. Oh, is sure. that a course um, open to everyone or is it for only birth workers? It's open for everybody. We have about a split. Actually, we designed it with in mind uh, with the pregnant couple in mind. Uh, oh, we have a lot great. of couples that are enrolled that are preconception. You get lifetime access when you join. So they're like, we're going to need this eventually. So let's just start mm. learning now. Let's start equipping ourselves. But the purpose of this course, whether you're a birth worker or you're a, a couple that's going to be going through this incredibly uh, rewarding experience, a, a privilege to give birth, um, what you're going to get is really not, it's, it's our magnum opus, Sarah and I, because again, we can't serve everybody, but we can give you this. And there's a lot of people that came to us like, I'm feeling called to having a home birth. That's my intuition guiding me. But I want to have a little bit more support. I don't want to be siloed off. And unfortunately, there's a lot of free birth advocacy groups. I won't name any. It's kind of obvious, I suppose, but <laughs> who don't necessarily provide the support that I would prefer to provide my clients, which is sort of like, if you don't trust it, then you're not cut out for this. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think there's any reason why if something doesn't feel right in the middle of your contractions, you know, as you're trying to have a home birth or a free birth or whatever, if you have a change of heart, that's okay. You're going to be fully prepared. And the course is not just, you know, video modules on everything we've talked about, including topics that doctors are just unwilling to touch COVID, the vaccines, Vitamin K, Rogam, GBS, you know, psychedelics and pregnancy, cannabis and pregnancy, a whole unit for dads. Like there is mm -hmm. everything that I could possibly provide you. And I just, you just go and do that thing. Mm -hmm. And you have a, a community weekly calls with me and Sarah for 12 months. Like there is so much there. The whole purpose though, is for you to feel completely compelled to act on your own. It's a reclamation of power, exercises to connect with your baby, guided meditations, checklists, worksheets. It, 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 this is a journey. And you can do it as many times as you want. And what I hope is that afterwards, you're like, you know what, Doc? You're right. I didn't need to hire you. Like, we've got this. And now we're actually connected even more deeply around this process. That's what this is. That's what this is for. It's a giant middle finger to the system. And we're trying to recruit an army of people who really want to reclaim maternity care. This is putting boots on the ground. This is not a carousel on Canva. The course cost us $25,000. It is beautiful. It is everything that I could possibly offer to the world. Mm, and then wow. some. Wow. I'll be signing up. I know. <laughs> we'll get you in there. Just send me a message. We'll I'll, be I'll be signing up. Wow. Dr. Nathan, so we often get asked to do an episode on fertility and maybe we're going to need to get you back where we can just have a full solo episode dedicated to this. But could you just break down some of the fertility issues you see and what are some ways in which you approach it from a holistic standpoint? Yeah. In order to sort of encourage people to think, be willing to think outside the box here. Um, and I'm not talking about you guys. I mean, like 
the masses. Let's 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 just start with hypertension, and mm-hmm. I'm, I don't mean like preeclampsia and all that. I mean just hypertension. What we do to treat hypertension in the United States is we give you a medicine that either slows your heart rate down, or it helps get fluid off your body, or it helps to dilate your blood vessels. Those are the three major categories of our blood pressure meds. Everybody gets that sort of type of treatment. Mm-hmm. But what if we considered that based on some, you know, some basic physics principles, I think it was called Bernoulli's law, if you have a big pipe with a bunch of fluid going through it and then you made it smaller, mm-hmm. you would have to have um, less, less flow or more flow yes. going through there, right? We have to mm-hmm. maintain flow. And if you consider at the very end of our cardiovascular system, our vital organs, the adaptation that this beautiful, infinitely wise body does is it hardens and constricts the blood vessels, making them smaller in order to maintain flow to our uh, vital organs. Let's say if this heart slows down or the heart is not pumping as hard as it can, Mm -hmm. but we see high blood pressure as a pathology. So if that adaptation is happening in order to maintain perfusion to your vital organs, and we now give you medicine that opens up your blood vessels, we've actually decreased flow, which is why your all-cause mortality doesn't change too much when you're on three or four hypertensive, antihypertensive meds. The way that I look at hypertension is that's an adaptation. Why is this happening in the first place? And there's this great book called, I think it's called like Lowering Your Blood Pressure, a, mm-hmm. a holistic approach or something. But it actually looks at it the way that anthroposophic medicine looks at it, which is, okay, there's the type, type of people that are nervous and that's why their, their blood pressure is, is high. There are also people that have a metabolic, underlying metabolic issue, obesity, diabetes, and whatnot. They have high blood pressure. But those people that are stressed out are oftentimes not the same people as those who are obese and everything else. So two mm-hmm. very, very different archetypes, like expressions of a, of a human being. Then you have a third type, which is kind of chaotic. It's a little bit of both. And you get these like arrhythmias and whatnot. So the reason I bring this up is that I don't think that in the United States, we have any fucking idea how to treat hypertension. And now we get to something that's even more complex and magical. And we talk about conception, mm-hmm. where if you and your partner, if you're listening, are, you know, he's ejaculating inside of you. You've done this for 12 months consistently, maybe once a week or whatever. You go to your OBGYN and they're like, oh my gosh, for, you, you need to go to the REI, the, the reproductive endocrinologist. You end up there and they do some basic blood work, which by the way, is no better at helping understand how your body works than trying to learn anatomy on a dead cadaver. It's a point in time. It doesn't tell the story of who you are, where you came from and where you're going. It is a point frozen in time, just like a microscope slide of some sort of cell. We have no idea how a cell works. We think we do. We have some ideas, but we're only, only, what we only have to really draw that from is a frozen point in time on a cross section of something we call a cell. And we add some stains and like modify it a bunch of ways. And then we say we understand the cell. It's not that simple. So the REI doctor is thinking, okay, you need a sperm and an egg to meet, and that's what we're going to do. So we're going to pump you full of synthetic hormones, take those eggs, and then we're going to have him jizz in a cup, and we're going to put the sperm, we're going to centrifuge it down, concentrate the sperm, and put it in the Petri dish and watch what happens. Well, if you look really carefully, it is not one sperm and one egg. There's actually tens of thousands of sperm, mm-hmm. I mean literally, that are required because yes. it is not just healthiest sperm, healthiest egg, meet and have a baby. It's not like whenever they put two hippos together in the zoo and they're like, come on guys, let's do it. You guys are in danger. Let's have a baby. <laughs> they put tens of thousands in there, which is why men with you know relatively low sperm count, nowadays 20 million is considered the low end of normal. It used to be 100 million. It used to be 150 million. Wow. But us men are zapping our, our nuts with, with these four powerful modems in our iPhones mm-hmm. in our pockets all day. We are eating junk. We're getting toxic stuff from our soil, air, and water. 40 to 50% of the time, it's on the man. And we just say, oh, your semen's normal. And they just walk out and, and keep doing whatever they've been doing while mm. the woman is carrying this burden. That's right. And still on the Instagrams, one egg and one sperm is all that's required. Guys, you're wrong. You actually need tens of thousands of healthy sperm mm. with, which are swimming strong. And they don't have fragmented DNA due to all the oxidative stress from a lifetime of not eating well, taking care of yourself, your adrenals are fucked. You've been incentivized at your, your company to make more money for the CEO by working long hours to get that stupid project done that doesn't matter anything to you and your soul's path. Right. So without getting too much on a tangent, <laughs> <laughs> the sperm and egg 
that are meeting and conceiving. Are, that's, not, that's not the right picture. We need thousands, tens of thousands to be available. And what happens when you look at an egg that is surrounded by tens of thousands of sperm is they're all bumping into the egg simultaneously. They're all like, and we see it as like the Darwinian sort of survival of the fittest. Who's the strongest sperm? Who's going to get the prize? That's not what happens. I think there's a cooperative effort amongst all of these sperm and something magical happens. The egg starts rotating counterclockwise. It's this really funny thing. I don't know why that happens, but it's, it's awesome. It's like when a card like a, you see a card trick and you just have no idea how it happens. Like there's something magical. It like makes you feel like alive again. One, when the, the, the egg and the sperm, like one a sperm, I suppose, is chosen, right? He's like the, mm-hmm. the, sacri- the sacrificial sperm. All the guys are like, go get him, Rodney. <laughs> and he rushes in there. And, and we have this baby that emerges nine and a half months later. Uh-huh. If you were to ask the typical OBGYN, even the REIs, they did three extra years of training. They're going to tell you, oh, we need to do this thing and pump you full of all these synthetic things. And then you may not even have a guaranteed success. In fact, it's maybe 50-50 for most couples. And it's going to cost you twelve dollars to $15,000. Ugh. Oh, Out God. Yes. Yeah. Is that the best we can do? I <laughs> don't think so. In fact, in my practice, I do have a fertility program. I'm not doing this to promote it because I actually can't take any more people. It's just too much work for me. Mm-hmm. But we, we go through a 90-day process of dialing in every facet of your health, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, intimacy, wow. conscious conception. We get your sperm up above 100 million, like per cc. Like we're going to be using all of our tools in our armament. We're going to use functional medicine, biogeometry. We're going to mitigate IV, uh, EMF. We're going to take this thing out of your pocket. We're going to stop doing prolonged hot sauna sessions. I could go through every single facet of it, but basically we're what I think is lacking in our medical community is that, again, we've come to save the day with technology. But IVF is an independent risk factor for a variety of pregnancy complications. Almost every one that you don't want, you're at an, it's an independent risk factor. And the reason is not because mm-hmm. IVF is necessarily dangerous. It's be, and although I might argue that it is, synthetic hormones are not good for anybody. But nobody has ever looked upstream in order to really determine the cause of your fertility challenges. It goes beyond polyps and fibroids and endometriosis and, uh, you know, whatever. Like there's all these other things that it's always on the woman. It's your problem. Like, why are you so broken is is the implication. Nobody ever looked upstream to figure it out Uh, beyond maybe Mm -hmm. the thyroid. They probably looked at Mm -hmm. their blood sugar and thyroid. What I would love for people to start recognizing is that there's a lot in your power here to control your fertility. And the one thing that you guys can do out there is to get this thing out of your pocket. I mean, I still have one. I love these things. They're super powerful tools. But if I was trying to get pregnant, I would take it out. And my wife and I did struggle for about six to seven cycles. And I thought that was a long time. Now I'm meeting couples who have been doing this for eight years. And they, nobody wow. ever told them, hey, maybe don't zap your, your nuts every day with this or your, or your ovaries for that matter. And maybe yeah. we start eating some oysters and organ meats. Even if you're vegan, it's totally fine. There's ways to do this. But many mm-hmm. people who come to me are omnivorous. Um, oysters for men, three cans per week, it will probably get you at least a part of the way there. And then all wow. the other stuff that we do is really meant to dial in your health because when you have that baby, if your health isn't dialed in now, you are going to have a very, very rough road ahead when you become a parent yeah. and you're not sleeping well and you don't have time to cook or whatever the other you know, realities are of, of young parents. I've got a three and a half and a one and a half year old. I get it. So mm-hmm. let's start now. 90 to 120 days beforehand. Let's dial it all in. You and your partner are going to be having the best sex of your life. It's no longer, no, no longer mechanical and based on, you know, a strip you peed on, which by the way, if you do that and you have sex, it's too late. You want those sperm to be available five days before you ovulate, which is why we do fertility awareness tracking. We mm. get your cervical, once you're, you're in that egg white stage of your yes, cervical phase, right. the sticky. Get those sperm in there. If they're healthy and you've actually minimized the the oxidative stress within your gametes, that's the spermatozoa, you don't have Mm -hmm. fragmented DNA. So here's something nobody's talking about, and I'll finish here. Your sperm might be formed well, like a little ovoid head and a little tadpole tail. They might be plentiful. They might be swimming hard, motility. And there might be a ton of them, but inside there is a little envelope of genetic material which if you haven't been taking care of yourself and your state, your body's in a state of chronic inflammation and there's a whole bunch of toxic stuff in your body, in your environment, et cetera, that DNA can be fragmented to such a degree that you might conceive, but then you miscarry right away. 
Mm. This is so easy to fix through lifestyle that it should be sort of a crime that we're spending about one and a half billion dollars annually on assisted reproductive technologies when not a single person has said, hey, what's your diet like? Like, how are you sleeping? How are your adrenals working? I mean, did you ever Mm. learn fertility awareness tracking methods? I didn't even learn that until I was out of residency. I met Lisa Andrews and Jack and I was like, tell me about the fifth vital sign. Never learned about this. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. I'll yield my time. (laughs) I mean, it's amazing. amazing. I feel like we could listen to you go on and on about every single aspect. The more you dive into each part of this, I just feel like there's just so much more that becomes clear about how (laughs) messed up our system is in Mm. so many ways. And Honestly, like every answer is how can we make ourselves as healthy as possible? How can we bring it back to nature? What is feeding our intuition and giving us our power? It's like bringing us back into a a different state that's not overly, um, what, medicalized or monetized or Mm -hmm. it's just... Ah, my God, this is amazing. We might have to have you on for a part two. <laughs> I know. And I was also saying you have a podcast as well where I'm yes. assuming you talk about all these amazing things. Um, yeah. Could you just tell us where we can find your podcast? Yeah, the podcast is called The Holistic OBGYN. And again, holistic is more than natural. People say, can we do, do it holistically? Like, what do you mean by holistic? I mean, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. There's far more to your human experience than lab values and spatial imaging and your surgical, you know, history. Um, we talk about all of these things and more. It's for dads, it's for pregnant women, it's for couples that are trying to conceive. It's for anybody who who has experienced more than like a merely physical reality and really resonates with love and light as opposed to, you know, fear and materialistic reductive science. Wow. Amazing. Well, thank you so much Next for level. coming on to our podcast <laughs> today and for sharing your um, wisdom with us and uh, and your humor. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you guys can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you, Dr. Nathan. And we love you, daisies. We love you, daisies. Thanks, guys. Bye.